Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my guest, I'm going to start, as always, by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show and to encourage you to continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at reincanada.com. That is CEO at reincanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share the show with your friends, your family, with other people you know, and uh, share with some people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. Thanks again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is definitely and sincerely appreciated. My guest today, Mark Holmes, is a Canadian rock star icon who, together with his bandmates Sergio Galli, Kenny McLean, and Chris Steffler, formed the legendary 80s band Platinum Blonde. From 1982 to 1983, they performed as a police tribute band up until 1983 when they signed a recording deal with CBS, which shot their career into a really high gear and captured a new wave audience with hit songs like Doesn't Really Matter, Situation Critical, and Standing in the Dark, one of my favorites. With this recording deal, they also embraced a new art form that was becoming imperative to the success of recording artists, which was music videos. And Platinum Blonde enjoyed a very high rotation on Canada's Much Music Network, their signature look and their hit music. Mark, Sergio, Kenny, and Chris rode the new wave movement really right to its pinnacle. In 2008, however, members of the Platinum Blonde were in conversation about a revival. Sadly, not much after that, their bassist, Kenny McLean, who spearheaded the idea, died suddenly of heart failure in Toronto. Inspired to carry on Kenny's positive energy in everything the band does now, Mark and the band continue to perform across Canada. However, none of this conversation has much to do with the history of Platinum Blonde. This conversation is about Mark Holmes and who he is today, his business opportunities and success, some life philosophy, and some of the personal challenges he faces and deals with daily, from depression and OCD to attention deficit disorder, ADDD, and dyslexia, and as importantly, how these issues really impact and drive many aspects of his life. A challenging conversation to say the least, perhaps sometimes a little hard to follow discussion, but many and a wide array of takeaways. Please enjoy the show. 
Mark Holmes, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Great to have you on the show. Things are good. Good to be here, my friend. Now, Mark, Platinum Blonde, you know, let's, I don't, you know, there's a, there's a place where we can enter the conversation, but I want to really start with where you're at today. Now, you're Platinum Blonde, you're a musician, you're an artist, but talk, let's start with what do you do today? If somebody walks up to you to say and say, hey, Mark Holmes, nice to meet you. What do you do? What's your answer to that question? It's a really hard question to answer. I mean, the first thing I'd say is, I well, I'm a songwriter, producer, and I perform, and I also put companies in touch with million dollar investment, <laughs> multi million dollar investment, so they can um, get start started and and or. Yeah, I, I try to get people together, like-minded people who uh, one would be the money people and the other one would be the people coming up with an idea. And, and, and that's kind of what I've been doing the last little while. So I didn't start in business. and I certainly didn't have any formal uh, business education. Um, both my parents, um, my dad was uh, in the Navy, the British Navy, and then, become, and then was a policeman after that. And uh, my mom typical Yorkshire mom in the, in like the sixties and seventies, she was just like, uh, she went to college, very well educated, better than my dad, I think actually. And, but not really no business education. The education I think they gave at that time was, you know, this is how you cook and all that, which you shouldn't really at that time, a lot of English people know how to cook very well, but, um, yeah. So I, I, I kind of, I, I looked out cause my son, Justin, um, Although we're very similar, we look very similar in many ways, he, he's very into math and science. Now, I love science, don't get me wrong, but I was dread, dreadful, dreadful at math, so science couldn't have possibly been an area I could have excelled in. But he certainly did, and uh, he, he's now in the financial world as well with a, uh, an app called White Shark. And uh, that's my, my friend uh, Mark Wade really kind of started me off into this into this business and and uh, by by saying mark you have great ideas we need to implement some of them you know or get you together with some other people who have uh, who are looking for ideas and have money to implement so okay that started with me probably about oh, i don't know maybe six seven years ago really so are you raising capital is that is that what you're really doing you're linking money guys to business deals are you basically yeah. yeah basically yeah and and you know i have a, a few of my own going because you know i want to start off a stem cell cosmetics company so we're we're kind of in the midst of doing that at the moment so okay so okay though that opens up a pretty big door of conversation stem cell cosmetics i mean okay that doesn't sound like a particularly small conversation let's let's no it's, it's pretty groundbreaking so, do you want to unpack that a little bit? I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of things here. We're still in the development stage, okay. but it is, it's quite quite astounding. And the company we're dealing with in uh, in America is is they made some great advancements, and I think it's going to help a lot of people in many many ways. I'll give you just a quick example. Um, one of our friends on the team had he hit his head, dreadful gash, dreadful gash. And we put some of the stem cell ointment on it. And I think in about two days, it was pretty much not there, except there was new hair growth. <laughs> wow. So we're, we're talking about miraculous treatments that actually 
really work. It's probably going to put a lot of uh, other companies pretty much out of business. But, you know, that's what happens. You New things come along. Uber came along. Taxis had to adjust. Um, taxis had to reinvent themselves because they no longer had the market cornered. And, um, and somebody just came along with a better idea. You know, an idea where the drivers have to be polite because it's part of their work. And they get reported on every single time. And, and of course, they have to have a clean car as well. Although, for the most part, I'd say 80 to 90% of the drivers are pretty much together. I mean, some of them shouldn't be driving because they're far too nervous to drive and, and they take too long. And it just makes I'm a fast driver. I need to get places. And I use Uber when I just simply can't afford to waste time looking for car park, uh, to parking spaces. So it's just easy to get an Uber, they drop you off, you're in, you're out. It's a wonderful thing. But see, that's how business evolves. It's going to happen no matter how secure you are in your business or whatever you think uh, your percentage of the world market your business owns. Somebody's going to come up with another idea. And when, it, and when they do, rather than being like a coal miner and says, oh, God, my coal, nobody wants coal anymore. Well, you shouldn't have ever had coal to begin with. It's an outdated uh, system. But by the way, instead, we'll just train you in this to, to know more about this. I mean, wherever there's wherever something stops, a new opportunity opens. Think about the weed uh, business. It's not all about selling weed. What about the glass products? What about the air, the air filters that are needed in, in the medical facilities to grow weed? What about the computers they use? What about the systems they, they use to, to make sure everything is perfect? The water's perfect. The soil's perfect. The temperature's perfect. There are so many ways to piggyback off other great ideas. And I think a lot of people who are stuck in their ways, and unfortunately, that's what happens. My mom, for instance, texting was a bit of a, an issue for her. She's texting now. She's on Facebook. She's on Instagram. She's connecting with the world. And I think it's a wonderful thing. And so many people, just like in music, can stop progressing the moment their bands, their favorite bands of their youth stop making records or they or they all of a sudden they just say, oh, well, today's music. Well, you know, if you were just a kid today and listen to the music, you'd be you'd be bang up for it. Right. And not understanding why your parents didn't like it just because. Yeah. Well, when your parents grew up, maybe rock music was the music of the devil and they're expecting uh, a little bit more rebel in the music that they actually have right now. Right now, it sounds like music made by Disney. But the kids don't know. They're, they're just loving it, right? But at some point, the Disney music will be over and something else will happen. And those kids who are listening to Disney music just stop stop progressing. Now, that's, that in itself is, is, is the problem. Even in the workplace, you just cannot stop progressing. And I can tell you one thing. If you keep yourself current and you keep yourself cutting edge. You can do that until you draw your last breath. Let's talk about that. I mean, you're a musician, you're a writer, you're an artist. You, you know, you've gone over the span of your career as platinum blonde and heading that up in the background. You're doing deals. You're, you've got lots of ideas coming at you. You've got lots of things that you want to accomplish in, including stem cell cosmetics. I mean, I, I, as I'm listening to you speak, you're, you're, I'm curious as to know is that as a musician, really, that was your focus early on. Was this always in the background? Was this kind of 
tape or DNA. That- every day goes, something pops into my head. I mean, there are pl- there's some duff ideas and every day something pops in your head. You go, go in the internet, to see if it's already been done. And then when you finally get one and you do the search and you do, do your due diligence and you find out what, you know what, I'll be the only one in the marketplace with certain things. Boom. And you're all right. I mean, the idea is to keep your mind open, especially like the cab companies, for instance. I mean, what are you going to do? It's like being in the club business. I have, I opened a club in Toronto called the Mod Club. I designed the whole thing on my computer. I, I know sound systems and light systems. So I put all that together. Right. But there's always going to be a, a newer, bigger, better club opening. So what do you do? You adjust, you make it more of a concert venue and you realize that, hey, you can't, my, my Saturday nights were massive, like oh, just lineups down the street, but things change, people's tastes change. And then th- that audience, as they get older, don't go out as much and a new audience comes in and that's who you're supposed to be really appealing to. So things change, you have to adapt. And really, that's that's the problem. I know CEOs are, are, are a good CEO anyway. Are, you know, they're always in demand. But a lot of people who don't update themselves and find themselves obsolete. Like if you look at the movies in the 50s and you see somebody in their 40s, they look like they're in their 80s because of our technology. So the idea is to keep on and keep going. That's why we like White Shark so much. That's why I'm pressing White Shark, another app we have through my friend Mark Wade, and my son is also um, a founder investor in that as well and works all all the technical support. It's because even if you can't really find what you're doing or or, or find your niche, because sometimes it takes a while to say, oh, this is something I wonder, this is something I really, really am passionate about. Until you do that, if you're in your 50s or 60s and stuff and, and you've got a house and you've got some money here and there but you're just simply just living on your savings or whatever the government's giving you not that well you can take an app like white shark and it simply just tells you when to buy and sell it's a it's a trading app it trades bitcoin uh, all the stocks and you don't really know how to use it you just have to stay on your phone for a few hours and press sell buy sell buy sell buy and if you've got anything like 50 grand in there, you could be you could be leveraging from your house or 100 grand. You could probably make about two or $3,000 a day just doing that. Wow. That's how incredible the, the app is. It's called White Shark. All your listeners, please download that, that app. There's a long waiting list to get on it. I'm sorry about that, but it's in its, develop, it's, in its early stages. Boy, be part of it now as soon as you can because it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. Man, you've just opened up a lot of directions we can go with the conversation. But here, I want to recap yeah, a couple things. Yeah. So w- when we talk about stem cell cosmetics, I mean, how did that show up for you? Because that's cutting edge technology. Is it what drew that particular thing to you? It was an amazing because I do what I do. I find I, I try to hook up investors with investments if I possibly can. But it's a little network of humans that 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 are all doing that, and we kind of all help each other. Got it. And so I went. To, uh, I was invited to a meeting regarding this with a stem cell company that remains nameless at the moment. And um, it was miraculous what they were doing. I mean, they had to do animal research, unfortunately, which they didn't want to do. So they broke the the, the back of the uh, the test rats, and in two weeks, that the back was completely healed, and he's wandering around like nothing happened. It's it's just it was just unbelievable. And then it brought out the, the serum. 
there's about 20 people in, in the conference watching this. And he put a little serum on everybody's hand. What I did, what nobody else did, I was more interested to see what everybody was doing. And people, guys with losing hair, they were rubbing it on their head. Girls were rubbing it directly on their face over me. It was like somebody just gave them liquid gold. And <laughs> it, or, or the fountain of youth, just because they'd seen what had happened. I saw the opportunity. And that's how you've, you've got to keep your mind open the opportunity. Like, not what's in it for me. What's in it for them? How can I help them? And I feel that uh, this is very much a Jewish um, philosophy that you have to leave the world a better place than when it came in. It's your duty to do so. Mm. And uh, I guess that's, I, I like that philosophy, even though I'm an atheist. I like that. I like that philosophy, and I believe that is absolutely your goal. And if and if you so, if I'm going to affect change in any way, the best way to affect change is to amass some form of money to execute those changes. And I feel if you're doing a, a positive change, something that's actually going to help people a lot, which I, I do believe the stem cell thing will do, then you are leaving the world a bit of a better place. Like Uber, Uber came along, changed the way we did transportation, and it's going to change the way people take medication. There's a philosophy many years ago, what came up for me is I said, success is simple and simple became an acronym and acronym for significantly impact many people's lives every day, which is being a contribution. Success is simple. And when you're living your life in a way that's supporting others and you're making and generating capital or making money, and it is really comes from supporting others success, that's kind of a cool way to live your life. Being a contribution is where you get your significance from. One of the things that you talk about is is the ability to change and to progress and keep current, whether it be Uber or in your case, Stem Cell or White Shark. We have to look and consider, you know, Richard Dolan, our mutual friend, Richard Dolan, my business partner, and we talk about real estate and the futurization of real estate and where is real estate going and living into the future and understanding that how we transact and invest in real estate is changing now. You know, we got cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology We've got a number of things, and it's all about change and progress. And so basically, you live a, a life and a philosophy at this point in your life where you really want to be a contribution. Can I take it back a little bit, Mark? Back in the day of Platinum Blonde, let's, let's go back to that when you're standing in front of audiences. I mean, the, be the, beginnings, the beginnings of Platinum Blonde, because like I said, I mean, we've we were lucky enough to have some hits in the, in 2012 as well. So yeah, it wasn't like you two where we just kept going. It's because I had so many different uh, projects I wanted to do and, and do differently musically. But let's get back to the beginning. The original question. What okay, so let's just go back. Okay, so let's talk about Platinum Blonde. You're uh, you're you're born in uh, Great Britain. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and then when when did you move to Canada? The thing is, is that um, I came over, uh, my dad had a, uh, he was working for National Knits, right? A knitting company. And I think they opened something here and he came over and, uh, and he came over with my sister Claire. And um, so I, I have sister Angela and me, and then we came over a little bit later, but we only stayed about a year or so. And, um, and then subsequently when I came back to visit my dad, I never really... I only sort of uh, managed to get a landed immigrant status, and I never really stayed there, especially in the 80s. I, I spent most of my time in England or in California. 
so it's very convoluted when when I think of when exactly you come over. Well, it's almost like when was the first time you went on holiday as a kid? Where did you go to? I went to Nice with my parents. It's kind of like that because none of the stays were very permanent. Right. I don't know. That usually breeds insecurity, which I didn't really have. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we all have some form of insecurity. Of course we did. Of course we did. But I traveled around a lot, moved around a lot. So I'd not been here long, maybe a few years before we released the first album. Uh, it was 1983, um, but I'd been here before that as well. Like, I, I, you know, Canada was, to me, it was like another, like it was just like the American part of England, right? That's, that's what I kind of been told. But when we started a band here in Toronto, I don't think it was the wisest decision. I should have, I should have started me, uh, because at that time, you'd, have, you'd probably have to work. Nobody get, gave, uh, uh, nobody cared about anything that came out of Canada. And I thought, wow, I'm a big, big shot in England. I'm going to, I'm going to come over and I'm going to do something. I'm going to even be more of a big shot because I've got a deal over here, but it turned out to be a huge mistake. I mean, yeah, sure. We're really, really popular. Trying to get anywhere else in the world was, was just such an uphill climb. Same people, same music, same kids. There's no difference. But at that time there wasn't internet. At that time, we weren't connected. It was very, very, very difficult. Having said that, I can't believe how this country has embraced me as one of their own. I mean, they're always saying Canadian rock star and stuff, and I, I just, I think that's, uh, that's quite a compliment. When I don't even own a Canadian passport, I think it's that's a huge, huge compliment. It makes you feel good. It's like moving to America and saying one of America's owners, or, or, or anywhere. To have a country embrace you is, is it just blew my mind. So I've always, I love, I mean, I'm a huge Leaf fan. I'm a huge Canada team fan, like uh, for Blue Jays and uh, and uh, the Raptors and stuff. I mean, there's, there's a lot of excitement. I mean, if I was uh, 19 or 20 and I came to Canada now, I mean, the connectivity and the, and the excitement that's happening, especially in Toronto, would, wow, the, the but back then, back in the early 80s, the world was changing for good reasons and, 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 and sometimes for the good and sometimes not the greatest. But the, the reality was that it was, it, I mean, you had to get on television everywhere. I mean, it was what a chore. You, got, you didn't just release a video on YouTube and have people click in to see it and pass it around. You had to f- go places, be, not even play, just to do television and, and, and radio interviews. You had to fly everywhere. You, there's, there's no like, Oh, let's just do one interview uh, with a camera here. I mean, that wasn't even, no, they didn't even think of that technology until probably about 89 or something like that. Because I remember I was recording in California and we were uh, up for some kind of a Juno award. It, it's just impossible. We couldn't get out there. It was just just not feasible to get there and back and, 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 and to continue uh and get everything ready on time. It was, I mean, we didn't think we'd be nominated for anything anyway, or, or anybody get, cared whether or not we were on the show. So we did an, um, I tried to make it funny. We did a, we, so we did a, a, a broadcast from, from LA and uh, I, I don't think that went over so well because it looked like, oh yeah, these guys are too big for the boots, but we weren't, it's just the way it worked. And that was technology back then. And, and there, was, there was no real, real connectivity you know, you threw your hands up in the air and, and hope for better uh, in the coming years. And of course, mobile phones came out and I had one in my car in California. Yeah. Um, 
it's a big crazy ass thing yeah, that yeah. stayed in the car, right? And then, uh, there's that that changed a lot, but. Well, I mean, you look at technology right now. I mean, as we sit here to now, I, you're using, we had some technology glitches this morning trying to get hooked up, but uh, ultimately, I mean, you're sitting uh, in Toronto, I think, um, on your- Sitting in Toronto at the moment, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, there's, right now, there's some super exciting things happening here, and the next two years are going to be great. So I need to go home a few few more times uh, a year for my family's sake, but uh, at the moment. So tell me about Platinum Blonde. I want to go back. I want to go back to Platinum Blonde. Did you come by your music uh, because of parents or other family, or when did you when did you kind of wake up one day and go, "I want to be a rock star"? It goes a little bit further back than the beginning of Platinum Blonde, and it connects to all the way until where I opened my club. I tell you, when I was little, I, I saw this. Uh, my parents uh, would work some. I think they did. They cleaned walls at night. And so I was left alone. My sister was already gone. I, you know, she was older than me, a lot of my older sister. So I'd watch a lot of television and and this film came on. This, this amazing film in beautiful colors. Finally got color TV. <laughs> and it was called Casino Royale. And it was it was a James Bond spoof. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm going into it because it has a huge influence on my life. It was beautiful girls, great dresses and then the james bond characters which were everybody they were, they were trying to get a few different james bonds to 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 fool smirch into believe you know what i mean so they could infiltrate this evil organization run by um Woody allen it was really quite good and anyway so um david niven played the james bond character to that point i'd not seen any james bonds because i wasn't allowed to as a kid um apparently you know it's, it was for adults they tried to keep kids. I mean, obviously, they didn't go to any of our English schools, did they? Because <laughs> I think they were far worse than what could happen on a James Bond film. But um, the point being is, is I saw one guy being adored by so many women. And there was this one scene where he's with Ursula Andress. And it's uh, Peter Sellers was also a James Bond because he was very good at baccarat. And he had to be Le Chief, played by um, Orson Welles. And um, anyway, it was this thing with Ursula Andress and, and they were spinning around on the bed and then all these bubbles started coming down. All this stuck to my hand and says, I want all of that. I mean, it is a line of, I want all of that. Because even when I was probably four or five, I was absolutely crazy about girls. Like, I just wanted to be around them all the time. And uh, I noticed when I was playing football and, and I was good at football, and the girls seemed to like that. I said, well, there you go. There's one thing. And then you hit about 14 or 15 and then getting up at training in the morning it starts, you need, you want to sleep a lot, you're growing and you've got a lot of things. So you don't really want to get up and train. What else can I do? So when I was 16, I said, oh, I want to just become a rock star. And then I played a, a bit and then I went over to Canada with my dad and stuff. And then I just became a rock star. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just do that. Well, I know, but you have to have, there must've been some mark. There must've been some talent. You, I mean, you don't wake up one day and go, I'm going to be a rock star. Listen, you know, I'd like to be a rock star sometimes too. In, in a way I did. I was, I was, I was rehearsing to be a star uh, from, from eight years old. I just said, I'm going to do this somehow. But you have some talent, man. I can't play a radio. So, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that you can. I know. So I couldn't really sing that well because I didn't know how to. So I started as a singer. I wanted to be like the, the main guy because obviously that would be the James Bond character. And um, I worked with his guitar player, and I, and then 
didn't know what to write songs because I had ideas already. I had all the melodies in my head. I mean, it just came to me. And then I realized, you know, this middleman business is not working for me. I, I don't want to work on someone else's schedule. So I, uh, I picked up the guitar out of necessity and I learned how to play. So in six weeks, I was in the first band playing guitar. Like I, it just, I just got it bang right off the bat. I was writing my own songs, they were dreadful. Put out a single called No Regrets. And uh, what was the other one? Hey, Hey, You, I think was on it. Dreadful. I sang on one uh, bass player, sang on the other. And he was far better singer than me at the time. And um, from that point forward, necessity was the mother invention. I didn't know much about anything about theory. I, and to this, I've written scores for films, orchestras, songs for other people. And I still, to this day, have no idea how to read music. I did it all by ear, all by instinct. And um, is that what's referred to as perfect pitch? So uh, I went to school with a girl. The reason I asked this. No, I didn't have perfect pitch. I, I, I still don't. I, I, I'm always I'm always training my voice to make sure I, my muscles can move in and out of the pitch without any without any issues. So I became a good guitar player because out of necessity. So I just became a good guitar player. But you don't read music. So this is, I was going to tell, share a quick story is I went to school with a girl who was brilliant pianist and she took lessons for many, many years. But the reality of it is she didn't learn to read music. And her one of, when she went to a new piano teacher, the teacher said, read the, play this song. And she goes, and she always said to the teacher, I want you to play it first. And the teacher would play it and then she would play it. And she actually played it so well that the teacher thought she was reading the music. But when she went to a new teacher, the new teacher said, no, 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 I'm not going to play it first. I want you to play it. And it was it was at a later age, like 14, 16 years old, where a teacher discovered that she didn't read music. What she could do was listen to music and then play it, like almost perfectly right out of the gate. So it appeared she was reading music. Now, you don't read music, yet you write songs, you play songs. How does it show up for you to be able to do that in your brain? I, I just thought it was kind of a fascinating point. Well, one, I kind of know my music theory, which would really help if I knew how to read music. <laughs> but I look at sheet music, and I have no fucking clue. Head. All you have to do is play it once. I've got it. That's okay. That's what she does. Same, yeah. same, same as me. Yeah. Um, but, but mainly, I, I never wanted to play anything from someone else. I just want to play my own stuff. So the reason my stuff sounded different and I created a sound that, that still resonates today is because of what I said earlier about Uber and everything. Necessity is the mother of invention. I had to learn how to sing. That was a necessity. I had to learn how to play guitar. That was a necessity because I simply didn't want to rely on other people for anything. Then I learned how to produce. Then I learned how to engineer so I could do everything myself. I love doing shit myself. But what I've learned in the last little while with a new project that I'm, that I'm producing is called Big Beat Corporation. What I've realized with that is, is getting everyone else's ideas and everybody else's production thing and, and trying not to write everything and let some other people come up with things that I wouldn't think of, you know, because they... The songs take interesting directions. If it took a wrong direction, it wasn't working, well, I'll implement what I've come up with. And so what do you get think of that? And then, oh, yeah, that works. But it's interesting now I, how I can work with other people because a lot of the singles you hear on the radio today, each song has about six or seven writers on it. Now. For that, you needed that. And some are being written with algorithms, for crying out loud. 
because it's so easy to pull things together that that sort of sound like something else and really the familiarity is almost something else and then you playing it so the originality isn't as strong but of course that changes it all changes and so you've got some idealisms around music what you believe and and that's awesome and you're creative. So some of your, you had several hits, but you know, when we look at, uh, let's say crying over you or standing in the dark, doesn't really matter Were those, did you write those songs or did you collaborate on those songs or? It doesn't really matter. Search had a guitar riff. That was it. That was it. And, and, and he said, doesn't really matter. He can't, he, that was it. That just it. So yeah. the rest of it, I had to, but all the rest of the music and all the words, uh, crying over you and in situation critical, those songs. Yeah. Kind of just, Especially when when it came to that second album, I wasn't just doing that then. I was also playing instrument, like coming up with all the guitar. I was coming up with guitar parts, pretty well all the drum parts, keyboard bits. Uh, we started to having. I'd come up with most of them in the first record, and there was only the very spare, sparing the first record. But once it started to get a bit more complicated, then I, had, I required someone who actually played very well. Like, no, not not me, because I couldn't play keyboards very well. I'm still not a great keyboard player. Another thing I should learn then it evolves and then you start working with other people and you realize that working with other people sometimes it, i mean you have to be people you respect when you play hockey or you play football you want to play with the footballer that's that's better than you so you can become better than you better than i am and that's really what it's all about we can all we can all be better and it's not shying away from the fact that somebody's really good at something it says that's a human this is how we all have to look at things we really 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 do our brains are wired different. So it's really not as much as a physical thing because we can all get there physically unless we have a disability of some kind. We can all get there physically, okay? But our brains are wired slightly different. But what we really need to realize is that is another human being. We deem them exceptional. However, doesn't mean we can't get almost as good or make ourselves better and then do something better than they've done. Might not be in hockey or scoring goals in football. So you're a really creative guy. You know, one of the reasons I was so excited about having you on the show, when we sat down for dinner, I mean, we had it, we were sitting for dinner and I mean, you're, you don't show up as, you, you show up as a rock star, but you've got some pretty cool philosophies on life and you're a father and you've traveled the world and you're a business guy. And when I break it down, when I have these conversations and even as I'm listening to you, your brain fires lots of different directions. You, you're like, you go lots of different places. You can talk on many topics. You have a view of the world that's often unique. I want to go back to one. I don't want to step over a couple of things because I just find it interesting. So you become a rock star because gosh, it's a great way to score girls. Like, holy cow, I can meet a lot of chicks when I'm playing being a rock star. I'm, I'm being honest. No, well, I, no that's perfect though. But I'm not sure if it, because she's a thing in life, right? And necessity is another invention. I can't go up and talk to girls. Never have. Never gone up and just said, hey, hey girls, how's it going? If they come to me, they got me. Uh, yeah. That is the funniest, isn't that the funniest thing? I see pickup artists all the time, my friend. The moment they go and just talk to girls, I run and hide. I can't stand it. I'm just too nervous. My stomach is just turning over. So necessity, the mother invention. Right. So, but I get it. And so, but what out of, out of that came a love of music, a love yes. of, of, yes. of playing and performing and and uh, standing I should have been an actor. Exactly, man. Because that's what I originally thought I'd be. I thought I'd be an actor. I, I didn't know ideas of music, but music was really easy. So I just chose the, uh, the path of least resistance. Yeah, so music was really easy. That's interesting. So yet 
along the way, you're developing, you're being a business guy. I mean, I know lots of musicians and artists and gosh, you have to work hard. I mean, you're out there, you're trying to make a living selling music, selling what you do and trying to generate revenue. And there is a business component of it, right? From marketing to hiring agents or, or venues or making whatever happen, happen. And, and you were really in the, the dirt of it. You were in the trenches of making a lot of that happen. As you said, it's one thing for us to sit here today and stare at each other across Canada on a, on a video call, but it's back in those days, it wasn't like that. You know, like you say, you had to go out and work the streets and pitch deals and make it all happen. And is that where your biggest interest in business lives? Because now, you know, you're 50, how old are you now, Mark? 52 or something? Yeah. So you're 52, you're a successful business guy as well. So did, was that all part of the training? Did you see yourself being a business guy or is that was just an evolution? I've got to tell you one thing. I've never considered myself successful. Oh, interesting. I just don't see it. Everything I do, I just think I can do better. I should do better. I have to do better. If you talk to successful people, they're generally successful businessmen. And the moment they get there, they think, oh, I can stop. But they can't. They just don't consider themselves successful. They really don't. People look at them as successful because maybe they're at a different level than they are at the moment. But it's just a moment. You're successful and then all of a sudden you're not. So you've got to keep going. Life's not really about relaxing. It never was. Animals can't relax. They've got to keep, if they don't keep aware, they get eaten in the wild. If we were in the wild, we've got to keep aware or a bear's going to come and eat us, you know, or we got to figure out a way that we can compete with a larger animal that's not, and, and so, so we stay alive. Yeah, I get it totally. And I think it goes back to one fundamental. I mean, we talked about this over dinner is that at 52, you're probably in better shape than you've been in in a lot of years. You're you're looking after yourself probably better. I'm in peak fighting shape at the moment. I mean, I, I run eight miles a day, get up and just run, and then I go to the gym for a couple of hours. And I and I make that an imperative. I make that part of my meeting. And that's what a lot of people don't do. So there are so many more important things in their life at the moment than exercising, but they don't, they forget the thing that when they get to the this, the, what they term the success part of their life, which they're never really going to truly think they're successful because nobody really does, is they are going to be in poor health. They're going to hopefully do their best to, to obtain better health and not leave it too long. But do, don't leave it long. I've been working out for probably 20 some odd years, longer, 30 years. I've not done it consistently enough, but I've always known that sugar is, is the worst thing. Oil is good. Fat is good, sugar is bad, not the bait and switch that the sugar industry would like you to believe. As long as you know and realize these things, I should do this, I should improve my heart health because if something happens and I and I, I have to go through an exhaustive episode, my heart might give out. What happens if I'm running up the stairs because I need to get to a meeting and all of a sudden I can't I can't breathe? Wow. You never even thought about that when you were a kid. The necessity is for you to keep going. You have people who rely on you. I think that fundamentally, you know, you're saying you've never really looked at yourself as successful and, and you're and you're going through and doing what you do. You're driven to go forward. But I think it goes back to what you said earlier, which is when you're really about leaving the world a, a better place, when you're really in behind all of what you're operating on top of is the fact that you want to leave the world a better place. 
And yes, you're going to make money and yes, you're going to change, you know, have business relationships and you're going to do all of that. But success lives, you know, in your last breath when you can sit back and go, yeah, I've left the world a better place. And that's really, for me, when I hear what you're saying is that, how do you measure success? Well, if your goal is leaving the world a better place, you never really get to any stop point until really you've breathed your last breath, man. That's true. And I'm going to explain, see if I can do this in, in a, a musical sort of metaphor. So, so let's say there's a hundred people in a room and there's a stage, just not just musical, anything, just a speaking event. Everyone is on the same level until somebody steps on that stage. Now, all of a sudden, that one, the 99 remaining people know what that person looks like. That person now is famous in that room. You don't know what everyone else looks like, but you do know the person on stage. You, you are now public. However, when you step off that stage, you've got a couple of friends in the audience, and they're your mates. You've got all sorts of people coming up to you and talking to you. They're not your friends, man. They're not your friends and family. So regardless how big you get, your world is the same. It's always the same. You affect the simply the people around you, the people who are closest to you. Nothing changes. Says, what, what's changed about success? Well, I tell you, I can travel the world. That's a good thing. I've got it. You can get a nice gaff, a house, sorry. That's a good thing and stuff. But now all of a sudden, you've got to make sure all the payments are there and what if this and then worries all, all, all set in. They do. Just like they set in when you're saying, oh, my God, how am I going to find uh, money for rent? This is, you know what I mean? They're, they're always there. Never changes. And no matter how big you get, how successful you get, how many people know who you are, how many girls want to get with you, which was, is usually a bonus for anybody who gets famous. That's all it is, is because that you're the one they know. You've been exposed to more people. So the people who will find you attractive or have something in common with you, you've got more of an opportunity to access that. However, your life will always be the same. You are gonna have, you've got the same family, the same kind of close friends, and you'll know when people aren't your friends. You can tell, he says, they wouldn't be here if I wasn't doing this or this. So we all live the same life. I truly believe that we want to change things and we need to change things is for every one of those little groups of people who will never meet. And so their little group becomes better somehow. Maybe the air is cleaner to breathe. Maybe uh, the food is better. Maybe more, maybe parents aren't going to be feeding their kids juice boxes, giving their kids poison to go to school with 30 to 40 grams of sugar in a juice box. Your child, your precious child, is making sugar a reward. Even changing stuff like that changes the whole picture, but you're still going to have that same group of core friends. You may know a lot of people, and life is exciting because life should be exciting. Please get out and meet as many people as you can because everyone's opinions, and even if you don't agree with them, there's still something to learn from everybody. But at the end of the day, and you draw your last breath, who's around you? So true. Who's there? Who's going to be? Who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? The people you leave behind, if they're going to be happy and they're sorted, and you've made that possible, if you've helped make that possible, then that's it. We have to leave a better place. We have to. It's it's, it's an obligation to every human. Okay, so let me recap something here because there's you know there's a fundamental. So you've got 
you show up, you get to be a rock star, you've played in front of tens of thousands of people, you've been nominated for awards, you've written hit songs, you've made a ton of dough, you've, you've had the girls, you've had the life. The question I get to is this, is that when we look at and seek, you know, because really what we're, I, I think, ultimately is seeking happiness, right? What is success? Because people would look at you and like somebody who's a struggling artist who's still playing, you know, maybe a, a, a bar gig, you know, loves their music, but would love to play in front of thousands of fans or to have the hit records that you've had and to achieve what you've had. So when you look at what drives you and, and to your point is around you're surrounding yourself with people that love you and care about you. And you look at success and, you know, I don't know who you or if you compare yourself to other stars or other artists, I guess is more the is more the phrase I would use. But what really makes Mark Holmes happy? Because you've had all of that. And so you're saying, but you don't look at yourself as necessarily successful. And I, I really do get that. But are we not all just seeking ultimately to be happy? You're laying it on the line, dude, because you're, you're actually saying is that because people would want to do what Mark Holmes has done. People would want to have achieved what you've achieved. And you're looking at it going, yeah, it's cool. It's, I've had a great life, but I still don't look at it and say, wow, am I ever successful? I'm always out busting my ass, working hard, trying to make a difference in the world. It's the challenges we all have to overcome. I have ADHD. I've got all that, all, almost every single symptom is dreadful. And I'm bipolar. And I can't get out of bed sometimes. I, the world frightens me. I'm frightened. And then I need to come up and get the courage to move on. I've missed meetings because of depression and things I can't remember. I've, I've not thought things through. I, I've made a lot of mistakes. But you, you, there's, just, there's times of clarity where you can pull yourself out. It's, it's, um, and I don't like medication. So what I do is I run. And that's one of the best ways to, to, to combat depression and your ADHD, it's it's very, and I also have dyslexia. Isn't it great? It's just great. I'm frightened of reading out loud because of my dyslexia. I've I it it it, it it's dwarfed me with mathematics. I'm dreadful at my sums. I always was. I thought I was a stupid kid. Yet I can do so many things, but I still am, am intimidated by people who read really well. My mother was so great. She taught me. A new word every day. My vocabulary is amazing. At school, they thought I was super intelligent, but I couldn't read the same way they did because I had dyslexia. I still things back to front. And I was, and, and as a result, I was extremely insecure as well, right? We all are. But um, I did bow through that. And, and then, and then um, even when I first started, I, I, I came up with an idea in music. Okay, I need to make money while I'm writing songs for an album, hopefully becoming a big star. So how do I do that? Well, the police, I was, I was good at doing impressions and the police were around at that time. So it says, why didn't I form a band that, because it's like, there's this tribute to the Rolling Stones. There's this tribute to ZZ, ZZ Top, sorry. There were all these things going around and these bands were making all kinds of money and they were touring as well. So we did police covers. So I was playing college and universities and making actual money. And then, of course, the two other members of the band decided they were going to get together and hoof me out and take all the money because I was kind of like the leader of the band. And I was there. I was on the street all of a sudden. No money, no agency. I'm on the outside again. I, I'm lucky enough to get a call a couple of weeks later from from the agents and say, um, Mark, what's going on? And I said, well, I kicked out of the band. And says, well, 
the promoters who are, who are buying the act are, are upset because that's not the act they, they, they bought. Where's the English guy who gets all the crowd into it and jumps on the tables and, and is outrageous and this out, where's he? They want, and it was me, of course. So all of a sudden that band was done for and my band was back in. I, I, they said, do you have a band? And I said, yeah, of course I do. I, we're all good. We're all good to go for two weeks from that day would be the first. I didn't have a band. I had no one. Necessity, the mother of invention. I, I knew this one drummer who could uh, sub in for a little bit because he was playing with the next, uh, a band called The Next and The Suspects with this guy called Kenny McLean, who ended up joining the band a bit later as a bass player. But uh, anyway, so Chris, I asked Chris if he could do me a favor and play some of these gigs and I'll pay him. Uh, I didn't get paid much, but whatever I got paid, I paid. Uh, Chris, because he, I mean, he was on his own and required money. And, and in order to do this, he required money. So we were doing really well in two years. Two years, we, we got uh, finally got David Tickle uh, to come over from England and we made a record. And um, from that super disappointing moment, two years later, I was playing uh, massive shows in, in Maple Leaf Gardens and places like that. And I signed. I didn't know what publishing was. I was. I didn't know what only that was. And and I signed my publishing away to the manager. And and all of a sudden, and the manager instead of making twenty percent, he was making fifty percent of everything. In order to get away from that, I, it's, it's, and it's now in the nineties. In order to get away from that, I had to I had to give everything up just to start anew. They wanted my publishing for the Platinum Blonde songs. They wanted this, that, and the other. And I was I was starving, broken. I I was a single father. I what am I going to do here, mate? So I had to, in order to get free and, and pursue something and, and be able to write songs that weren't owned by anyone else, I had to give everything up. So I was broke yet again. And then when it came to me finally putting songs together, it was the 90s and, new, and, and grunge was around. And I wasn't about grunge. All of a sudden, I was irrelevant. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with me. So I now have to, what am I going to do now? I'm a single father. What, what am I going to do? I have to reinvent myself. Luckily, luckily, uh, going back to Manchester really helped because I, I, was not, I saw the DJ scene, uh, how it was working and how the medium now was the star. And on my way back over to Canada with my friend uh, uh, Bobby Guy, who's from the southern part of England, we said, let's do a night. Let's do this night. And then I came up with the idea because I always remember I told you, look, reverting way back to the the 60s movie I saw with the bubbles and everything sure. and all the girls. Yes. It came to me. I am now going to recreate that film every night, but not every night, but every Wednesday at this place. And I'm going to call it the mud club. And uh, so I reinvented myself. So all of a sudden, as I expanded to not just Wednesday nights, but two Saturday nights right across the street from each other in massive club, I opened my own club. And all of a sudden, I've got my own radio show, and I'm playing music. And now all the record labels who once thought me obsolete now need me to play their new artists or need me to say something good about their new artists because I had such an audience, everybody hung on my work. And now, all of a sudden, I've got other DJs, and we, we formed this thing and in, in the mid-2000s. We were responsible for indie dance music, which was a huge, huge Thing that went around the world and he, it, Steve Aoki's would come to Toronto and she would tape him and said, Mark, he's playing your exact set. But that was good. And I was an older person. I was I was in my, you know, late 30s, early 40s. And I, and I was still 
connecting with new stuff, creating new things that made a difference to people just entering musical or, or, or younger people. My audience was pretty much in their early 20s for the, for the most part. And then um, my partner in the club decides, oh, just like those band members did, if we could just get rid of Mark, we can make more money. Of course they did. And, 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 and I've been in a big law battle over over the mod club and, and it's been and it's been devastating so i had to yet again drag myself up for nothing yet losing everything all my income those and starting again and then i'd worked hard to have all of that taken away from me from for greed so crystal casted the cover all of a sudden massive worldwide hit i'm doing the remix so now dj mrk has got all 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 this clout on all this stuff going on Kenny finally calls me and says, Mark, put this, can we please put the band together and stuff? And I, and I thought, and this, this is, this, this is in and around the time. It's before, it's before the Crystal Castle thing. And I said, no. And then I finally said, yes. I said, yeah, we'll, we'll do, but I'm not touring unless we have an album. And then 2012 comes along, now or never, probably one of our most successful albums ever because it was successful around the world. It, it had DJs doing dance remixes and stuff. It was amazing. But, that's where life takes you. And then, then I, I, and then I got involved in business and finance because my ideas were always subject to finding funding. And I've always funded myself. So, and then I realized I'm not the only one in this boat that needs funding. And I, and I found myself a network of people. And, uh, and I'm talking to you now. So when I say I don't feel successful, I don't feel successful because I should still have full control of my publishing. You don't know what it means to, to hear Platinum Blonde songs. Everybody says, oh, that's great. It says, no, mate, I'm making some money from that, but I don't own it. It brings tears to my eyes. There's a, yeah, I can see the emotion in it, by the way. And there's, so I don't want to go off on a track. I want to go, I want, okay, Mark, you said a lot in that segment and I want to, I want to go back because here's where success lives for me. You struggle with depression, you're ADHD, you're dyslexic, You've had so many challenges along the way, and yet you've overcome those challenges, that adversity, you faced it, you know, and I guess at some point you have to look at it and go, it's because of my ability to face those challenges to overcome that adversity that you've achieved what you've achieved. And you actually, people can look and say, I admire you because every day you struggle with any one of the combination of those things that you're challenged by, yet you're here, you've got tons of energy, you're driving business, you're driving initiatives, you've got a great outlook on life, you've got a cool son that you know that you raised and were a big part of raising him, and he's a business guy today. So when you're dealing with all of those things, knowing that all that you know about yourself, is there, you know, aside from going for a run and playing music perhaps, how are you dealing with all those things coming at you? Are you constantly conscious of it? Are you constantly working on it? Every time I wake up, I open my eyes in a panic over all of the terrible shit going on at the moment. And I drink a protein powder in, in water. I shake it up. I drink it. I put my shoes on. I smoke a little sativa and I head out running. And that's been my savior. It gets rid of the depression. I come back. My mind, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. But I still fear things, you know, it's just very, it's very fearful because I don't feel that I'm financially safe. I could, I could have millions and billions. I still would probably feel I was financially safe. But I tell you, 
uh, fame and success doesn't always equate into into financial stability. So when you're young, you don't care because you think you can, you feel like you're the chosen one. You can be successful all your life because you were successful then. And in reality, that's not the case because it's not you deciding your success, is it? It's the general public who are deciding your success. If the public aren't digging what you're doing, and that's in every business whatsoever, or aren't needing what you're selling, then you're done for me. You've got to, you've got, you've got to reinvent yourself. I'm reinventing, I see people around me, they, they give up, and I just can't give up ever. I can't, I can't. It's interesting because you have every excuse in the world to give up, you know, with all of the things that you're dealing with. There's many who are going to be listening to this particular interview that struggle with depression. I mean, that's really common. There's whole campaigns around drawing people's attention to it. Are you one to talk about depression in terms of, I mean, you talk about running and the physical aspect that helps you manage your depression. Are you one to talk about depression with others? Have you, are you a, in some way supportive of others? Have you created a, a relationships and contacts with others? Well, on Friday, we did a benefit, um, the hat, keep your hats on benefit. We played that and it was for m mental health awareness. And uh, when we did our set, I, 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 let, I let the audience know that, by the way, I've, I've been unfortunately blessed with a few things that, uh, that may have actually helped me. Why do I know how to create? Because I've got no option. I've got no. I've got. I've. I've no choice. If I don't, I. I then I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. I've got to go. I can't manage the thought of when John Lennon wrote a song. He says, "I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round." I like. I really love to watch them roll. And then people would ask. And in the song, people ask me, "Don't you miss this? Don't you miss that?" Well, I make them roll for me, and I. I, I just choose another wheel to go rolling. I, I don't just say, like, no, that part of my life's over. And I just keep moving on to another one. I mean, and it's hard sometimes, especially with the mom club stuff. That really meant a lot to me, you know. The person who is the villain and all this, I, I, I thought I was close with the family. I'd, I'd go watch the football with him in the afternoon because nobody would he'd be by himself all the time. I'm a people person. I really care about people. And before I, I came into this person's life, it was a pool hall. The guy ran pool halls. All of a sudden, I come in, I turn it into this big club. Kanye West are there and Amy Winehouse and Keith Urban and massive stars. And to have him try to legally squeeze me out. And I didn't take care of myself legally. I just trusted people. I figured, oh, we're all big family. Everything's okay. But it wasn't because they weren't my family. He wasn't my family. He wanted, he would plan to screw me over for, for years. And I, I was devastated. Tons of money on lawyers. But mostly I was heartbroken and I, I get heartbroken because to me, it isn't just business. There is no just business. It's bullshit. People tell you that they're just they're just they're just finding a way for them to move through the world. There is it's not just business can never be can never be just business. Not after what I've gone through. It's about people. Business is still ultimately about people. And I can and I can really feel the letdown for you in in what, what that must have been like. The moment the money shows up, so does everybody else. Uh, the manager shows up, he wants this and this and this, and I'm just mind blown at the evil that, that can exist in humans. 
I didn't know how to protect myself. I know business because I'm smart. I know I know things because I have to know them. You know, I made myself smart. I made myself know these things because I've no I've got no fucking choice. I'm by myself here, man. So, Mark, tell me something. Given what you went through with your partner or going through with your partner around the club and other things in your life, how are you in business now in terms of trust? Are you like always going in uber guarded? Are you always now going in? Okay, we're not doing anything. I'm not saying anything till I got this contract handled. How are you? What did you learn? What have you learned from this experience? Are you, is it really, really uh, eroded your trust in business or eroded your trust in people in general? Or are you still able to see that, okay, that was just a fuck up. That, that was just an asshole that, you know, came into my life that I had to deal with. And what did I learn from it? And and what do I put in place to put in corrections going forward? But are you operating on top of this general lack of trust now? Or can you, can you are you able to get past it? You can't forget what, what goes on. But it's it's like grouping people together and saying, well, they're always like, oh, Scots, Scotsmen are always really tight with their money. You know, whatever. There's only one race, the human race. There's only one of anybody. So I haven't lost faith in humans at all. I won't let it change me. I won't I won't stop trusting people. And I won't I'll, I'll be smarter about it, but I won't stop. I'll, I'll I will trust people until they do something that causes me no longer to trust them. I will give them the benefit of the doubt and I won't let that change me. And I've and eight and I run into it all the time. You know, people making promises and not delivering. And they certainly don't deliver. And I can't let that affect me. I've got to carry on. And I can't let the fact that people simply just saw the opportunity to screw me over and took it. When that takeover thing happened in the month of they saw an opportunity where I was quite down and, and my dad was dying. And uh and moved in. And wow, can you imagine? You know, it's interesting, Mark, is, I mean, I can physically see where you're at and, and certainly hear how big of a hit that was for you. It's just interesting that, of course, you pick yourself up and you have to move on, but you've got all that you've got going on, going on. It's like, does your music still inspire you in terms of, because you're still gigging, you're still playing, does that help you get past some of the pain and some of the hurt that exists? I mean, this is like a big injury, you know, a, a mental and physical, emotional, spiritual injury. I mean, it was a big hit for you. You keep faith in spite of partners, in spite of what you've been up against, and you get up every day and, and you're trying to make a difference in the world. So, And you know who told me that? Another wonderful person I met with, an amazing family. I feel like I'm going to tears here. Uh, Murray Goldman is such a wonderful man. He said he was the one who instilled that philosophy. He says, I've got to leave this world a better place than, 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 than the one I came into. Probably one of, the, one of the richest men in the world. And he's the good guy. Mark, we got to start to wind this down. And I want to say that, you know, I appreciate so much your authenticity and sharing all of the things that you shared. In amongst all of this conversation, there's so many takeaways, so many little gems of insights and, and gold in it. And I really appreciate the time and the energy. And once again, the authenticity and putting your heart on your sleeve and sharing with me and the listeners a lot about Mark. And when I sit here and listen and 
really see you are making a difference in the world and you made a difference in my world. And I'm excited about sharing this conversation because I think there's so much in it for people to listen to and, and see. As I wind down the show, I'd like to do a couple of, you know, fun rapid fire questions. Quick one, quick answer stuff. Mark. Okay. What's your favorite book right now that you're reading? Anything? Or favorite book that you've read? Oh, man. Having ADD and having dyslexia. You don't read much. I do. I, I read the stuff I generally read. The stuff I find very easy to read are my manuals for all my... Um, my software for, for, for my studio and stuff. I, that's basically, that's basically my reading material. Um, I, I, I grab a little bit from the New York times here and there. Uh, but I've got to say as a person who does have ADD, I don't have a favorite book, but I've got lots of favorite first chapters. Oh, got it. That's funny. That's perfect. What's your favorite swear word? Oh, I think it's probably this the is fuck obviously yeah because it's a pleasurable word and it's also a, a, a it's also a it can be a mean word right so <laughs> if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you get to the gates if it existed well i i gotta tell you in in my world heaven is what you make on earth but uh i i would have to say uh i don't get you i'm not really happy being here i just i think you're a fucking asshole <laughs> and, and i don't care what you say to me you're an asshole that's it okay i think you're an asshole to what you do to these people down there i think you're a fucking dick i don't want to be here i prefer if there's another place to go i'm going I'm not going to be here i'm not going to be a hypocrite no fucking mind okay room your desk or your car what do you clean first or because you got add you do all three. Oh, every everything has to be in place or i'm done i'm fucked so, but it's bathroom first always. Ba- bathroom, uh, there, there's you, you, that's the one you didn't mention. But I think you have to have a super clean bathroom in case you have, anybody comes over. It's that's 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 the showpiece of the of the house. I okay. think. Okay, I can ask you a really tough a, a tough question for a musician. Maybe I think. What's your favorite tune? The one that always sets me back and 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 I can retreat to and listen to and and feel. I sad and and embrace the sadness and embrace the things I've gone through in my life would be comfortably numb. Who wrote comfortably or what, who, who plays that? Pink Floyd. Oh, Pink Floyd. Yeah. Do you have a favorite movie? Um, uh, favorite movie. Oh, that's very difficult. I'm, I'm there's two films that come on that I have to, that I always say, Oh, I'll just watch up until this point. I'll just watch up until this point. And the first things that come to mind, so it's not one. One is watching with my son, and that would be Ghostbusters, the first one. <laughs> That's a great movie. That's a great movie. It was just, it was just everything. It was just, just so much good feeling about that. And a friend of mine told me one time, he was, he was in Borneo or something like that, a small island, doing some diving, and this this town and got the first tv and all, all the old everyone was there watching it and stuff and they had a video because they obviously had no reset they didn't have any reception not obviously i mean but they didn't have any tv reception so they could just plug in watching the videos this, the first video they got was ghostbusters and he says you're watching the reaction these guys thought this shit was happening man they thought that was real to them and that to me blew my mind because that film all of a sudden took on a whole other meaning it's a great film and and of course the one 
film that you try so hard just to watch five minutes of, but you never can. And it doesn't matter what point of the film you enter, like when you switch a channel and you're there, it's Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, at the end, I can't even hold myself together. You make a good point. You're 52 years old. You're a father. You're a business guy. Do you think you cry more now since you're, you know, after 50 than you ever did before in your life? Negative. Negative. I've been very. I've, I've always. I've always been very emotional and, and yeah. I'm very, very loving to my friends and, and people. And um, I just think it's the most important thing. And I, I'm lucky enough to have Mike's girlfriend in my life, uh, Jessica, who is my best friend. She's such a great friend, uh, and she has to juggle relate her relationship and and you know try to explain. Oh, by the way, no, we're we're like really, really close friends, and I will never give that up. So, and it's. It's not a sexual thing or anything. We're just we're just pals. We know each other really well. And somebody said, uh, posted on Facebook recently. And they said, "Oh, you know how they always have evident new survey shows that or evident shows, and they're not really. They just they're just blabbling." But one said that people who stay in touch with their ex girlfriends just could be psychopaths, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, I haven't put a really long comment on that. I generally don't write stuff on facebook because i think it's a waste of time sometimes but i had to comment on that i says it's firstly no i'm friends with i'm pretty much all my ex-girlfriends and good friends with them friends where they they love me still they still and i love them still and we care about each other and we'll do things for each other and we we're happy for each other and we stay in touch with each other because when you build a friendship like that just because you're not having sex anymore or you're or they're seeing somebody else for that specific part of their lives and the togetherness and sleeping together and, and getting up and having breakfast together and all that. It, it doesn't mean what happened to the friendship. You, you spend all that time building a friendship. You argue and you don't think it's going to work. So it doesn't work, but still I really care about this person. They care about me. We're friends that how, how on earth should that just stop? Because of somebody else's feelings that, oh, oh, you can't talk to your ex-boyfriend or you can't, you're not allowed to talk to your ex-girlfriend. No, you have got to deal with the fact I do. And it's a plutonic relationship and I'm happy to have it. I keep my relationship. I keep my friendships because it's important. It's not being a psychopath, as they say. It's called being an adult. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's interesting. It. That's a very evolved way of being and a very elevated way of being. So I think it has to be evolved. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Barry Wenzel, for that, by the way. My friend Barry Wenzel, he's, he, was, he helped me out of a very difficult place a long time ago. I mean, another part, because when you get when you go through these devastations like I did, you know, um, with the band and having to give everything up, I was, I was destroyed. Right. And I went to, you know, I met a girl that probably wasn't the best for me. And and I went through some heavy shit, and then I realized that wow, it is the friendship part of it. And uh, and Barry is a, a a photographer. In fact, he's, um, he used to shoot for Melody Maker, and and he's he was he grew up in the sixties, all that hippie stuff, and so and he and he had some really great philosophies that really really made sense. That the physical feeling of a hog is only amplified to real greatness when. There's a friendship and it's a deeper attachment and your mates. And, and I think girls should be your friends. So maybe, you know, I mean, sex and stuff, who cares? That girls should be your friends the way guys are your friends. 
And basically, that's kind of how I've lived my life last, last 20 years. This is a perfect segue into the last question. What are you grateful for? My friends, yeah. my, my family, my son. Yeah. Mark, I'm grateful for you taking the time to have this conversation. And uh, thank you to share with what you shared. And I'm grateful to uh, have met you and look forward to uh, having more conversation with you. That'd be good. Yeah. You're a cool guy, Mark. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Mark. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.